Hey everyone. Well, as as the shirt says, hi, my name is Mark Nathan, and I'm the director of Unite, or the Unite director. I can read. <laughs> Funny little story about this shirt. So, um, my interns gave this to me this past Sunday, uh, so you guys could see it too. Yes, so everyone can see the shirt. Uh, they gave it to me this past Sunday. I had, we all meet down in our basement at our house, and, and so I forgot my laptop upstairs, and so I went to go grab it, and I came back down, and they're just all sitting there quietly, just kind of staring at me, kind of having a, you know, a suspicious grin on their face, and I'm looking, and all of them are just wearing this shirt, and I wasn't seeing it at first, and then they're just kind of just waiting for the reaction from me, and finally I'm like, wait a minute, what's, what's going on here? What, what are you guys doing? And I'm looking at this, and I kid you not, so I had this deep theological thought, or I was like, no way, this is so cool. I was giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, so a few weeks back ago, like I, I gave the talk, and near the end of the talk, I said something like, um, there's times I, the times when I felt like I was failing as a shepherd was because I was failing as a sheep. If any of you guys remember me saying that, and it's really just this idea, like I can't expect to lead you guys if I'm not following my shepherd personally too. And so, um, and so then I'm like, this is awesome. This is a sheep. And then it's saying like, I'm the director of Unite. I'm like, I almost got like emotional about it. Like I was like, wow, that's powerful. And then they told me the story behind it. And I was like, oh. So the <laughs> they were just playing a game where you just draw a random object and you write random statements, and then they put it in this generator, and the generator comes up with something, and they choose between all these different options of what they would want to make a shirt. That was literally it. And so the artist of this, I'll let him remain unknown, he didn't even know what this is. And apparently it's not a sheep. But I will choose to th go with my thinking towards this shirt, even if it's a sheep with a very long neck, okay? So... Welcome to the conclusion of our Psalm 23 series, where we've been looking into this famous verse and seeing how it still applies to us today. We started out the series looking at verse 1 of, of Psalm 23 that says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And we talked about where before we can see God as our shepherd, we need to recognize that we are like sheep, long necks and all, uh, prone to wander and stray and who are fully dependent on their shepherd. And we also need to recognize that God is the good shepherd. And we saw how Jesus said this very thing in the New Testament, that he was the good shepherd, which in a way was affirming that he is God as well. And then when we recognize that he is the good shepherd, what happens is we realize there's nothing else that we need. Because if we really needed it, him being a good shepherd, he would have provided it for us. And so we find ourselves sometimes wanting more than actually what we need. But he's a good shepherd and will always provide what we need. Therefore, it says, I lack nothing. And then a couple weeks ago, my wife Holly came with a word from the Lord concerning verses 2 and 3 that read, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. And I don't know if you guys were here. She had us um, raise our hand, basically, if, if our response often when people are asking, like, how are you doing? And we respond, oh, I'm busy. 
And I think she got about 95% of us standing up, admitting that we're busy. And then she bamboozled us by throwing this conviction, saying that our busyness keeps us from resting in the Lord and experiencing him as he desires us to. And she talked how we were born with this infinite desire for more that stemmed from the beginning of time, really when God created Adam and Eve with an eternity in mind. And how we continue to search for this infinite want of more and so many different things except for the one that can truly satisfy, which is Jesus Christ. And then last week, we had our very own Lisa uh, share uh, with us a word from the Lord from verse 4. that says, even though I walk through the valley, darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And she shared her very real struggle in her valley that she's been experiencing with her wound that wasn't healing for so long until just a couple weeks ago it miraculously healed even baffling the doctors who said it would not heal on its own so praise god for that yes and we learned how god calls us to be grateful in all things in all circumstances and lisa shared how god revealed that to her in her journey as well and how she had found gratitude in him and in the simple things around her. God is always with us even in the valley. And so that brings us to, to, us to tonight where we're looking at the final verses of Psalm 23, 5 and 6, and they read, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, let's pray before we dive in here a little bit more. So God, we, we just thank you for being our shepherd. God, we thank you for the, the truth and the word that you have for us, God, to help guide us in this crazy life. God, we pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to your spirit, that we would hear your truth in the way that you would desire us to hear it, Lord. And God, anything that is not of you, I pray that it just be quickly dismissed. God, we know that you know each of our hearts intimately. God, you know where each of us are in our lives and our journeys and our battles and our, our victories, all of it, God. You see it all. And you love us and you, I believe you brought each of us here very specific reasons, Lord, and I pray that we would be open to, to respond to that tonight. God, please anoint the words that I speak, and it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, so you might ask, why have we been covering this Psalm 23 over the last month and tonight? And the reason is because I believe as powerful as this psalm was to David when he was bringing it to life in his hardships, I believe it could be equally powerful for each of us, no matter where you're at in your journey tonight. You might, you might feel as though you are in the hardship, in the valley. You may be headed towards the valley. You might be coming out of the valley. But regardless, I truly believe that this psalm can meet you at any place that you're at in that journey. And my ultimate hope is that by diving a little bit deeper into some of these scriptures, that we would fall more in love with Jesus and more in love with his word and his truth. And what we're going to see is something I mentioned in the, the first week that I shared was how all of scripture, everything points to Jesus. And we're going to see an example of that again tonight. 
So to give this Psalm 23 context again, this is a time where David, he, when he wrote this, he was fleeing for his life. It's believed that he was running from his own son, Absalom, who wanted to kill him to take over his kingship. And so you can imagine that he's not in a very great place. But yet somehow when we read this last part of the Psalm 23 verse, it sounds very optimistic. It doesn't sound like someone who's in despair or who is hopeless. And what I titled tonight's talk is prepare and enrich. And what I mean by enrich, it means to improve or enhance. And what we're going to see is how God prepared and enriched David in this situation he was in. And hopefully from that you will be able to, to see how it can relate to maybe where you're at in your journey. And so let's first read um, the first part of this last verse again. Psalm 23, 5. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Does this sound odd to any of you? Like, why would David say this? Or better yet, why would God inspire David to say this? That in the midst of danger or heartache or, or where your enemies are present, maybe surrounding you, God prepares a table. And then he anoints your head with oil. And then David says his cup overflows. Like what is the significance of these very tangible things such as a table, the oil, and the cup? You see, God often uses material things to speak to us about spiritual things. And here God uses these three things that we can touch and handle, a table, oil, and a cup, to communicate how he prepares and enriches us. And so we're going to look at each of these a little deeper as, as how God prepares us and enriches us in the midst of hardships and challenges in our life through these tangible things. And so the first one, the table. So God prepares and enriches us by giving us strength. And David again says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so this is eating in style. If you can think back to not even a week ago, actually it was exactly a week ago for some of us, um, this, this amazing spread, Thanksgiving dinner, we're talking like, you know, the candles out, the flowers, the, the platter with the amazing turkey that Roman cooked last week. If you guys were here, it was incredible. Um, a bowl of all the fixings. Someone has prepared a table. And try to take in this picture if you can. You arrive home after a hard day of work or school. You're exhausted, maybe a little jaded. Your energy is spent. And someone is in the kitchen and they're cooking up a storm. And you might say, hey, can I help? Like, let me help. And they're just like, no, no, no. I just want you to sit down, relax, and I'm going to prepare a meal for you. And they're just like, no, I got this. Don't worry about it. But when it is done, you come to the table, and as you eat, your strength is renewed. And that's the picture. And here's the question. Who would do that for you? I know my wife's probably thinking, yeah, Mark, who would do that for you? Um, well, David says, the person who does this for me is the Lord himself. David again says, you prepare a table before me. And notice, this is in present tense. So this is not something that he did a long time ago. This is not something that he does once in a while. This is something that he does always for his people. 
You prepare a table before me. And God uses this picture to tell you that he will prepare and enrich you by giving you strength. As your body is strengthened by a good meal, so you will be enriched, improved, and enhanced as the Lord himself feeds you. But there's something else going on here. It says that you're, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You see, David's life was an unrelenting battle. In his early years, he was a shepherd despised by his older brothers. Then he lived as a fugitive hunted by King Saul. When he became king, he inherited a divided kingdom where rival tribes were filled with resentments and he was alienated by deep distrust. In later years, David suffered as his family was torn apart by cycles of abuse, violence, and death. And then at one point, like I mentioned earlier, he had to flee for his life because his son was leading a rebellion to kill him. And that's what brought him to this Psalm 23 that he shares. And how in the world did he keep going? And all the things that he's been through, how did he keep going? And how will you keep going? in light of the many pressures, the burdens, and the conflicts, and the troubles in your life. Again, God prepared a table for David, and he renewed David's strength even in the presence of his enemies. And what God did for David, God can do for you. God gives strength to his people, and so he will prepare and enrich you in a world of trouble. So now let's look at the second item, the oil. God prepares and enriches by giving purpose. David says, you anoint my head with oil. Oil was used in the Old Testament to commission certain people for the work that God had called them to do, like prophets and priests and kings were all anointed with oil because God had given them a particular assignment. If the table speaks of new strength, the oil speaks of new purpose. There is a beautiful description of Aaron, Moses' brother, who was anointed with oil as a sign that God uh, had chosen him to serve as a high priest. It's found in Psalm 133, 1 and 2. It reads, how good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Like, this is not like a little oil rub on, on Aaron's forehead. The anointing oil was poured over his head, and it ran over his beard. It dripped onto his collar and soaked his robes. When David says, you anoint my head with oil, he must have had in mind the day that he was anointed as king. When the prophet Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The oil speaks of God giving purpose, a calling, an assignment. In the Old Testament, only certain people were anointed with oil. But the New Testament, God's, all of God's people are anointed with the Holy Spirit. A sense of purpose enriched and sustained David. And it's like I can imagine he was thinking that God has given me this work to do. I've been called. I've been anointed. And if you lose sight of your purpose and why you're here and what God has called you to do, you will soon be tired, jaded, and spent. But here's the good news. God has work for you to do. In Ephesians 
It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so find out what God has called you to do and pursue it. And as you do, God will prepare and enrich you. All right, let's move to the third and final item that David mentions here, the cup. God prepares and enriches us by giving joy. David says, my cup overflows. You know, there's a downbeat version of Christianity that goes something like this. In this world, you will be surrounded by enemies, and somehow you have to get through this. You have to endure it. You have to stick it out. You have to put up with it. And if you do, you will be blessed in the end. When your life in this world is over and you go to heaven, then you will find you will have joy. The downbeat version of Christianity basically comes down to this. Life stinks, but heaven is coming. That's pretty much this downbeat version of Christianity. But that is not what David is saying here. Here is a man who knew plenty of trouble and pain and hurt in his life, and yet he says, my cup overflows. Jesus does say in John 16, that in this world you will have trouble. But he also says a chapter before that he says in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There's some versions that say complete. So David says, my cup overflows. When the prophet Isaiah describes God's forgiveness in the Old Testament, it is not enough for him to say God will pardon. He says God will abundantly pardon in Isaiah 55, verse 7. When the psalmist describes how God brings hope, it is not enough for him to say that there, with God there is redemption. He says with the Lord there is full redemption in Psalm 130, verse 7. Paul from the New Testament speaks not only of, or not just of riches, but of unsearchable riches of Christ in Ephesians 3, 8. Jesus speaks about giving us life and life abundantly in John 10, 10. When the prodigal son returned home, his father did not meet him with reluctant grace. No, he, he ran to meet his son. He put on the best robe, put a ring on his finger. When the prodigal son came home, the father didn't say, hey, there might be a cold hot dog in the fridge. He said, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. And I imagine this is what David experienced, this abundant pardon, this plentiful redemption, and this amazing grace. He's saying, my cup overflows. So the table, the oil, and the cup. The table reminds us that God enriches us by giving us strength. The oil reminds us that God enriches us by giving us purpose. And the cup reminds us that God gives us, enriches us by giving us joy. And so David said that these things were his, but how do they become yours? And the answer is that we are all blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, according to Ephesians 1.3. And if you again remember um, what I said earlier tonight and just earlier in this, this series, that everything points back to Jesus in Scripture. And so the Lord knew Psalm 23 long before David ever put a pen to it, before he ever spoke it into existence. The Lord knew it, and he inspired David to write it. 
And so what did the, to- the table, the anointing oil, and the cup mean for Jesus? We'll start off first. What did the table mean for him? On the night he was betrayed, Jesus met with his disciples to celebrate the Passover. Matthew 26, 20, it tells us that when evening came, Jesus reclined at what? The table with the twelve. And Jesus sat at the table in the presence of his enemies because Judas Iscariot was at the table with him. And Jesus took the bread in his hand and he broke it as he had done before. He'd broken the bread when he fed the five, crowd of 5,000. But this time, he said in Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28, he said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my body, this is my blood. Jesus does more than just prepare a meal right here. Jesus, in a sense, is, is the meal. Bless you. <laughs> so ultimately, Jesus gives you strength by giving you himself. He says in John six thirty five and 48, I am the bread of life. And then in John six fifty seven, whoever feeds on me will live because of me. You see, the heart of the Christian life is that Jesus gives you himself. He is your strength. And you feed on him by believing in him, spending time with him. And as you trust him, you will draw strength from him. And so that's what the table meant for Jesus. So what does the anointing oil mean for Jesus? What task, what calling was assigned to him? Remember the picture of Aaron being anointed for his task as high priest. Oil was poured on his head and it was dripping from his beard and soaked his robes. Something similar happened to Jesus in the house of a man named, called Simon. Jesus had gone there with a group of friends. Among them was Mary, who was the sister of Lazarus, whom Jesus had just brought back from the dead just a short time before this. And she had so much gratitude and love for Jesus that she wanted to be able to express that in some way. And it says in Mark 4, 13, that she broke the flask and poured it over the head of Jesus. The disciples, especially Judas, thought that this was a waste because it was an expensive perfume or ointment. But Jesus, he had said, she has done a beautiful thing. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. You see, David was anointed for, as a king. Jesus was anointed for burial. This was the work that Father had called them to do. Basically, Jesus, your task, your mission is to give your life. It is to be crucified, dead, and buried. It is to lay down your life for the sheep, even the ones with the long neck. I'm just kidding. Jesus was anointed for death and for burial so that we can be appointed to eternal life. And he died so that we might live. And he anoints his own with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be equipped and do the work of God that he's called us to do. So that's what the anointing oil meant for Jesus. What did the cup mean for him? Jesus spoke about the cup in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Matthew 26, 39, going a little bit further, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, not, yet not as I will, but as you will. What was this cup? In the book of Revelation, Revelation 14, 10 specifically, there's a powerful description of the final judgment that awaits unrepentant sinners. The wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. This is the cup that was given to Jesus. If the thought of that made him shrink back in horror in the Garden of Gethsemane, what must the reality of drinking this cup have been when he endured it on the cross? Why did the perfect, holy Son of God have to drink the wine of God's wrath poured in full strength in the, into this cup of his anger? Because in Isaiah 53, 6, we see that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. As Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so that you may drink the cup of God's blessings. And try to take this picture in, adapted from an old Scottish pastor. He says, God holds a cup. In his hand, the cup is full, and it has your name written on it. And he hands it down to you, and you shrink back in horror because you know what's in the cup. The wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. But before it reaches your hand, the good shepherd reaches up and takes it into his hand, and he knows what's in the cup. And as he holds it, he says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And the good shepherd drinks it. The wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he drinks all of it until it is completely empty. And then he takes the empty cup and he fills it until it is running over. And what's in the cup now is love, grace, mercy, peace with God, everlasting life. And now he offers this cup to you. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so that you could receive the cup of God's blessing. And so David is saying, my cup overflows. So Psalm 23, 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. It makes a lot more sense that in the midst of our enemies surrounding us or challenges or hardships in life, that our shepherd would prepare a table for us, that he would anoint our heads with oil, that he'd fill our cups when we see that he is bringing us strength, that he is giving us new purpose, and that he's bringing new joy. He is preparing and enrich us and enriching us to take on whatever we are facing. And then the psalm concludes in verse 6. It says, 
Surely your goodness will follow. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does this mean that life is going to always be good? No, because we already established earlier when Jesus said that in this world there will be trouble. So we know that that's not what that means. But what he does promise is that goodness and love will follow after. And I think sometimes we could have this misunderstanding, like when you become a Christian, that everything's going to be awesome. And then when we hit hard times in life, and it, we're, we're a little confused because we're like, this doesn't feel awesome. But God, again, never promised that it was always going to be amazing. But if we trust him as our good shepherd, he can bring goodness and love to follow whatever difficulty or challenge that we face. And so just to be clear, too, I think sometimes we think as Christians we're supposed to think that the circumstance, no matter how bad it is, is supposed to be good. But I would say that, you know, a loved one dying, there's nothing good about that. In that, that situation, there's nothing good about someone dying. Like, I experienced my older sister dying last year. I wouldn't say that that's good. But what I can tell you is that his goodness and his love does come after that. When you start to see his hand in all of it, it might make people think about eternity for the first time in their life when a loved one died. I know when I think of God now, there is something a little bit more personal. When I think of my sister who loved God is up there with him, it makes him a little bit more personal to me. Because somebody that I knew, that I touched and that I loved is now in his presence. And I can say that there's love and there's goodness that comes from that. And, and, and so many other different situations you can see that too. The circumstance is not good. And God is not saying that it is good. But he's saying that goodness and love will follow after. And it's interesting. I think sometimes God will intentionally lead us through tough times so that we come to a better place on the other side. That's why in the previous verses that we did in the last couple weeks, Psalm 23, 3 through 4, where it says, He guides me along the right path for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So it's saying that he's guiding us on the right path, right? So we're with him. But then it's saying that we're going through the darkest valley, which makes you think that, okay, so the shepherd is actually guiding and leading us through this darkest valley. And what kind of good shepherd would lead his sheep into a dark, dangerous, vulnerable place. And the only logical reason I can come to is there must be something pretty amazing and special that he wants us to see and experience that's on the other side of that valley. The goodness and the love and the closeness and the intimacy with him and notice in this psalm, like you see the first part of the psalm, David is referring to God as he. He will lead me. He guides me. He makes me lie down. And then he comes to this verse 4. Something changes here. Like why didn't he just continue to say, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. 
And I can't help but think that as David is even speaking this, and he's speaking of a, a moment of crisis in his life, that he is compelled to all of a sudden just thinking of God in a more personal and more intimate way because he remembers what he went through with him. And so David reveals when he refers to God as you, this, this closeness that he has. He says, you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I don't doubt that many of you have also experienced this closeness with God when you've gone through the not so fun times of life. And then we come to this last part that says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I've seen this in my own life, how he makes beauty from ashes, the painful and hard things in my life. Like I, I remember, it's probably about 12 years ago, probably the darkest time of my life. And the biggest lie that I listened to in that time was that it's never gonna get better. I thought my life was, I seen the best days behind me and I thought it was nothing good that was gonna come moving forward. And a lot of it was based on, because of the bad decisions that I was making in my life, nearly destroyed my marriage and everything. And um, I had no hope. I can't even tell you guys, like, I would have never dreamed or thought possible that my life would look like it looks right now. There's no way. I made a mess. I made bad decisions in my life, and I don't think I'm alone in a room this size. I'm sure many of you guys have made your share of messes too. Don't ever feel like that's as good as it gets or that's as, like there's no hope. As we reflect on David and, and again, just the unrelenting hardships that he faced in his life, look at how hopeful he was and optimistic, saying that God, I know that surely your goodness and love will follow all the days. And so I stand up here as again a, t a testimony to that statement that goodness and love absolutely came after the crap, the hard stuff. And I don't doubt that God's gonna do that for you guys too. So please don't give up hope, thinking it's always gonna be like this. Know that, know that there must be something amazing and special that's on the other side that the shepherd is wanting to lead you through. So as we conclude uh, this Psalm 23 chapter, and, and I'll invite the, the worship team up. I pray that when you hear that the good shepherd leads his sheep, long neck and all, <laughs> into rest and righteousness, when you hear that he restores his sheep, bringing them back when they wander and picking them up when they falter, when you hear that the good shepherd guards his sheep, that he walks with them through the valley of death, 
that they don't fear the shadow because he is with them and walks with them through the valley. And when you hear that the good shepherd prepares and enriches his sheep by giving them strength, by giving them new purpose, and by giving them joy, that there is something inside of you that says, I would like to have these things to be true of me. If you've never accepted Jesus as your good shepherd, and you know that is something that you want to do, this is what Jesus tells us we need to do. In John 10, 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. If you think back to the first week, I shared a video of, of a shepherd calling his sheep. First, they had other people calling the sheep were not responding, but as soon as the shepherd called, all of a sudden you see the sheep just start to come. And then my wife, Holly, she showed a video too, trying to one-up me, of course. I'm just kidding. But she showed this video, and, and the shepherd again was calling his sheep, and some of them would come, but then you would also see some that were sort of coming up, but then they kind of deviated, and they kind of went away. And the shepherd, in just a kind and gentle voice, was just saying, She's, they're just not quite getting it yet. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know if, if you would consider yourself like me, like a sheep who knows your shepherd intimately. Or if you've come to this place because you've been invited or, or somebody said, hey, there's this cool place that 130 college students come and hang out. And so you're just checking it out. Like, I, I don't know where you're at, but the God that we prayed to earlier tonight, he knows exactly where you're at. And I believe that he's calling you. And it's up to you whether you choose to, to hear that voice of the shepherd and to respond and to follow after him. And you may just still be just in this investigative this space and I pray that you just know that you're always welcome. It's okay if you're not there. But if that is something that you want to do to commit your life to the Good Shepherd, please come talk to me. I know any of our interns or intergens would love to talk with you as well if you have questions about it. And we'd love to pray with you. So please don't leave this place tonight if that is something that you have a stirring, you feel something in your heart palpitating and just saying, like, what's happening right now? Please don't ignore that. Um, Come talk to me, come talk to someone, and, and we'd love to share with you. So I want to do this as we close. I'm sorry I went way later than I usually do, but um, I think it'd be cool if we all stand up together. And I just want to read this verse all together one time through Psalm 23, 1 through 6. And my prayer and my hope, as we read this whole verse earlier in the series, if you can read this now, for those of you that have kind of been around for the last month, if you can read it now with even a different degree of, of just knowing a little bit more behind each word, then mission accomplished. If you can read this and feel like, I know God a little bit better, and I love him a little bit more, that is truly the goal and the hope of why we're even here, why we're talking and, and sharing scripture. We just want to point you to Jesus. We just want you to know how much he loves you. And we pray that someday that you would return that love to him as well. And so let's, let's read this together. 
starting with the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word, for this psalm, God, that can just encourage us, that can help guide us in any circumstance that we're in in this life, God. God, may we do more than just hear it, though, Lord. May we just apply it in our lives. May we let the seed grow in our hearts, God. And may we just experience you in a more personal and intimate way, God. As David was a man after your own heart, Lord, let that be true of each of us as well, God. That we'd be just searching you. God, I pray that you would just continue to do a work in this place tonight as we worship you, as we bring praises to you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for being a part of our community opening the word today. We here at Unite challenge you to grow in your relationship with God, to grow in your relationship with others, and to go out and live a Christ-centered life. To learn more about Unite, follow our social media pages or go to our website at mpcc.org unite. God bless. Mm-hmm.